to show I have an existential crisis in public. Look, I don't shy away from the unpleasantries of life. I've been an edgy, gothy teen. I've been into my fair share of serial killers. I even wanted to be a mortician at some point. So it's safe to say I'm not squeamish about death. But honestly, no one seems to be right now. When you look at the popularity of true crime at the moment, the genre has truly undergone a renaissance in the last couple of years. And the way it's being consumed right now, not by edgy teens, but by adults, does leave me with a metric fuckton of questions. Are there any benefits to consuming this kind of content? Is it morally defensible? Is it informative? Or is it just a tacky mess? Let's talk about it. During the actual renaissance, you could die from a tooth infection. Surgeons poured hot oil and egg yolk and turpentine into open wounds. Terrible crimes like stealing bread or being a protestant led to hangings for the peasants and beheadings for the fancy people. And people used to go to executions all the time with the kids in tow. There would be snack stands and everything. It was truly a family event with not just death, but gruesome murder as a normal part of everyday life back then, it is no surprise that murder ballads became a thing. Murder ballads are tragic songs about women being victimized by unquestioned male power, obsession, and even whim. This eventually led to pamphlets, which featured beautiful artistic interpretations of the most heinous crimes that people would hand out on the street. And it served a couple of purposes. The first one is to keep people up to date about court proceedings and to let people know what's going on the next town over because people couldn't FaceTime each other about it. But mostly it was just a cheap thrill. People who could read would read these pamphlets out loud on the street so that everyone could enjoy um, the heinous murders. People especially loved their stories about dead girls because they could double as a story about morality. The morals of the story mostly being if you're a pretty woman and you do something incredibly whorish like show off your ankles, maybe you had it coming. This media was basically about making it very clear that if a woman gets murdered, no matter how brutally, that she must have had some part in it. A good example of this is Shannon Watts. She was described as a type A go-getter and a very ambitious woman by her loved ones. And she built her own house from scratch at 25. That's quite the flex. When Shannon and her two little girls were murdered by their husband and father, people who followed her on social media said, I kind of understand why he did it. Because online she's so bossy and loud and annoying. Blaming women for their own demise. We've been doing that for a minute. Also definitely remember to delete any pictures you may have from Tequila Friday because if you get murdered in cold blood and people see those pictures, they'll say you had it coming. Anyway, murder ballads still very much exist and I actually like quite a few of them. One of my favorite ones is the one from the 1600s about two sisters and one sister drowning the other out of jealousy. I sing it to myself a lot. I think it's so pretty. Caleb Myers by Gillian Welch, Where the Wild Roses Grow by Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue is also very pretty. Nick Cave has a whole album called Murder Ballads, so if that's your thing, definitely check it out. But there are even more modern ones, like um, Nirvana's Where Did You Sleep Last Night, TLC's Waterfalls, Eminem's Kim. They're all murder ballads. And even though murder ballads nowadays are more fictional and metaphorical than confessional, 
they still have some kind of moral uh, edge to it. Because come on, we can all unite in the knowledge that Waterfalls is preachy as hell. It's the musical equivalent of having a finger wagged at you. You know, I kind of hate that song <laughs> now that I think about it. Anyway, after the 16th century, modern medicine happened and people started realizing that heads, after being beheaded by a guillotine, still had consciousness and vision for a second. So they realized this might not be the most ethical thing to do. So death stopped being a normal part of everyday life. Also a couple of wars happened, so that made us give reveling in murder a bit of a rest. Dead women are one thing, but it's not so cute anymore when it's the men that are dying. Then, the 60s rolled around and Truman Capote wrote the first true crime novel. That is when true crime really started becoming part of our media landscape. So much so that in the 70s, journalists had this saying called, if it bleeds, it leads. Murder was hot. Murder was the thing. You know, as a journalist, you wanted to be the first on the scene. Is your neighbor brutally murdered? Perfect! That way you can be there before the body gets cold. From an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense for us to be fascinated by things that scare us and to be interested in the horrible events that happen around us. The ancestors who were most in the know about dangerous things happening in the area would leave the most descendants. They could foresee dangerous things happening and thus avoid them or escape them. We also have this natural inclination to want to solve puzzles. So, you know, of course we love true crime. True crime is also a way for us to manage our anxiety. We want insight into their psychology. The better we understand them, the more we can keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. Or so we like to believe. Every religious text ever is a testament to how drawn we are to the tension between good and evil. And true crime is just another way for us to revel in that tension. Schadenfreude is absolutely a thing and it's not even malicious. We just love this sense of relief we feel when we listen to these stories because our life might be bad, but it ain't that bad. And another reason we love true crime, I think, because this is my own theory, can be explained by Freud's displacement and sublimation theory. So quick psychology 101, sublimation is when we change a socially unacceptable impulse into a socially acceptable behavior. And displacement is when we turn a socially unacceptable impulse into a socially unacceptable behavior. For example, police officers and criminals have the same amount of psychopathic traits. They're basically the same people, just on other sides of the fence. If you have psychopathic traits and you become a police officer, no matter how excessively violent, in this society that would still be considered sublimation. If you have psychopathic traits and you start dealing heroin in front of a preschool, that would be displacement in this society. If you always wanted to cut up people and you become a surgeon, sublimation. If you always wanted to cut up people and you become a serial killer, displacement. You get the gist. My theory is, since true crime has now become socially acceptable, people who have always been curious about what it's like to kill can sublimate these feelings by watching true crime which is definitely the preferred coping mechanism in this case. On the flip side, it can also give people who are curious about what it's like to kill ideas, but we'll talk about that later. Besides all of that, we love true crime because like all good entertainment, it has this beautiful escapist 
quality to it. It's yet another way for us to turn our brains off and disengage from our lives. And why wouldn't we in this economy? I thought about it and I came to the conclusion that true crime has real benefits. It's one of the reasons why parents teach their kids not to talk to strangers. Why we don't see kids playing outside by themselves until the streetlights come on anymore. It's why hitchhiking stopped being the most used way to travel across country. The serial killer boom in the 70s and the tactics they used to lure their victims made us painfully aware of stranger danger for the first time. And you could even say, just like stories about wars and genocides, true crime can be thought of as information about humanity that has to be preserved. It's an absolute abomination, but it's also a reality of the world we live in. And another benefit of true crime is that there are true crime shows out there who get really useful tips immediately after broadcasting. Social media has really changed the true crime game. Take the case of Gabby Petito. Her mother described her as a creative, free spirit who wanted to see and do everything. She was murdered by her fiancé. One of the reasons this case got so much attention was because she was very active on social media. So there were a lot of people who knew her. And in regards to her case, there were of course a lot of clues of where she was at what time. Not only that, but she was also found because social media came through with the tips. Not only does true crime help lock people up, it has also freed people who were wrongfully convicted. So there's no denying that true crime has brought real people real justice. You know, <laughs> a funny thing I've noticed is that some women are still kind of weird about true crime. Like it's still a niche. Like, th like they're weird because they're into it. Not only is it a completely normal and mainstream form of entertainment right now, but 74% of the people who consume true crime content are women. It's a specific kind of violence that appeals to women. And I've also found studies that said a lot of women who are victims of domestic abuse themselves find comfort in true crime content. I will get back to that later. With all of this being said, there are also a lot of reasons why true crime is really hard to defend. For instance, true crime absolutely fucks with our perception of real crime statistics. It gives us the impression that white women are more often the victims of violent crimes, which is statistically false. It's absolutely true that 70% of interpersonal homicide victims are female. An interpersonal homicide is when someone is killed by people they know. Most often it's uh, intimate partners. But in general, men are four times more likely to get killed than women. 80% of all homicide victims are men, compared to 19% of women. And only 1% of all intentional killings can be attributed to serial killers. And you know, I actually think that number is higher but it'll still be the lowest of all intentional homicide causes. True crime really only represents the teeniest, tiniest fraction of... I want to say of the worst crimes out there, but that's not true. The truth is that people aren't only curating these cases based on the details of the crime, but they're carefully curating this content based on who the victim was. I guess what I'm saying is, if a loved one goes missing, you better hope and pray her features are symmetrical enough for people to give a fuck. We're really not above 
fetishizing the murder of women. There are a plethora of horrifying things that have happened to a variety of people. Yet, just like with murder ballads, most true crime stories revolve around white women and girls who are victimized. Jean-Benet Ramsey and Madeleine McCann were both really sweet, really extroverted girls, according to their parents. They were absolute dolls. But no one can convince me either of these cases would have gotten the same amount of attention if it was black girls who this happened to. Ten thousands of women of color go missing every year. Where's their Netflix original documentary? We love a story about pretty white dead girls. This means there are thousands of families who've lost a loved one under horrifying circumstances whose cases never got any attention. They never got to use media frenzy to their advantage. On the flip side, vigilante justice is a real problem. Everyone is a crime expert now, of course, so people who are merely suspects in crimes usually get nailed to the cross in the court of public opinion before they have been convicted of anything. I'm sure you've watched the true crime thingy or two where you thought, oh my god, how did this person not realize that insert murderer was a murderer? Look at that guy. This seems innocuous enough, but true crime has this tendency to make people fall into victim blaming narratives. We do whatever we can to convince ourselves that person must have done something wrong. Maybe they missed something. Maybe they reacted too slow. Maybe they weren't vigilant enough. It's just a way for our brain to protect us. If we blame someone's behavior, we feel safe because then we feel like, oh, well, we don't behave that way, so we're not going to get killed. Because if we were confronted with this situation, we'd be fine. We've watched enough true crime. True crime makes us feel that way. But in 99.9% .9 of cases, there's nothing the victim could have done to predict what the killer was going to do. You don't expect to be hit over the head with a crowbar by a man who's wearing a fake cast when you help him put his groceries in the car. You don't expect the boy you talk to on campus here and there to break into your apartment and strangle you to death. Thinking anything else is just a gross side effect of consuming too much true crime. Oh, it's raining. Ugh. ASMR, I guess. It's not inherently dangerous to help someone put their groceries in the car. It's not inherently dangerous to talk to that weird boy on campus from time to time. Neither of these things are normally a precursor to getting murdered. True crime makes murder look way more prevalent than it actually is. But even though that is the case, we cannot deny that America has the most serial killers of any country in the world. The country with the second highest number of serial killers is England, with a total of 166 registered offenders. Now, how many serial killers do you think America has? Think about it for a second. If you said 500, you're wrong. If you said 1,000, you're wrong. If you said 2,000, you're still wrong. The total number is 3,204 registered serial killers. And it must be more, but this is just a horrifically high number. America is the only developed country that sees guns as a constitutional right. 
technically Mexico and Guatemala are still developing countries, but these are the only three countries in which having guns is a constitutional right. And you could argue that that has something to do with how many serial killers there are, but the number's not even that high in Mexico or Guatemala, so that can't be it. This is another theory of mine, but the way American media treats serial killers is pretty great. And I have no doubt that there are killers out there who were incentivized by the attention alone. Take the case of Bianca Devins, who just graduated high school and who was accepted to college to study psychology, which she was very excited about. She had behavioral and mental issues, but she used gaming to cope. One night after driving home from a concert with the boy, the boy got jealous that she had kissed another boy at the concert and he slit her throat. Not only did he violently murder this girl, but he live streamed it. He took pictures of it. The worst thing is he got so much attention for it, but positive attention, especially on 4chan. Why? Because she was an e-whore who only gamed online because she wanted attention. Because can you imagine a girl gaming online because she likes it? They were mostly sad because she was pretty, but other than that, the killer was lauded as a hero. This boy knew that all of these neckbeards would love to see this girl murdered because she didn't pay attention to everyone. And, um... He was right. Attention is a very, very powerful incentive. And giving killers as much attention as we do implicitly sends the message that murder is a great way to get attention. You could say that paying attention to killers might breed more killers. Speaking of attention, since women are the main consumers of true crime, it shouldn't be a surprise that there are some women who have a specific sexual interest in these cases. This is called hybristophilia, which is when someone is sexually attracted to a person because they've committed a crime. For some reason it's mostly prevalent in women, and I'm pretty sure that you've seen the phenomena in practice already. There are Tumblr pages where you have cute little collages with serial killers wearing flower crowns on their heads. That's a form of hybristophilia. Even more harrowing. I think we've all heard those stories about women who write letters to serial killers and a lot of serial killers got a lot of female women, female women, <laughs> got a lot of people asking them to marry them and there are even serial killers who impregnated women while they were sitting out of a life sentence. So you may have gotten a life sentence but at least you got to lay some pipe. Go justice. When I was going over the benefits of true crime I mentioned something about women who have been survivors of domestic violence finding comfort in true crime. That's not so weird, it's just another form of food. It's just getting to be relieved that you survived when the person you're looking at did not. So of course you're relieved. Every piece of true crime, every book, every documentary, every series, every YouTube thing can be made and profited of without the consent of the family of the person who the thing is about. And you can forget about them getting paid for any of this. Isn't this the classiest thing you've heard all day? 
This true crime resurgence also means that there are a lot of families who also have to survive a trauma resurgence. A lot of families are getting attention they never bargained for. They get called and arrest and, you know, added to social media and sent pictures of their dead sister. Especially after whatever podcasts or whatever the fuck airs. These people have to be reminded of this absolute tragedy all over again so that people can make money. What it is is profiting off of other people's grief. And what I think is a heinous side effect of true crime is that people are so focused on the gruesome details of a murder that they forget it happened to an actual person, to a human being. People are way more interested in the killer and the deeds than the fact that someone suffered in the process. We are more concerned with the reasons why they did it than the fact that they did it. Whether we intend to or not, what we're doing as a society is fetishizing murder and glorifying killers. And we need to be honest about that. Okay, name five big serial killers. Go. You got five? Good. Now name one of any of their victims. You can't, can you? The emphasis on the killers and not on the people who had to lose their lives is disgraceful to me. This is even the case when it's about a single murder. Sure, we'll talk about how pretty the white dead girl was, but the killers are the real stars of the genre. Just imagine your loved one getting murdered and seeing their killers in movies, books, documentaries. Just imagine someone you adore, someone you love. You love their smell, you love their hugs, you can laugh with them. Just imagine that person being murdered in cold blood and that people remember the name of the person who murdered them, but not theirs. Isn't that horrendous? And don't get me wrong, I absolutely understand the appeal of the subject. I really love my murder ballads. I love the prosaic aspect of it. The way an entire narrative is told in as little sentences as possible. And they're more focused on that than on the act. Every sentence in a murder ballad carries an extreme amount of weight. And I feel like that's exactly what true crime is missing right now. Like I said in the beginning, I ate that shit up. But as an adult, I understand the implications of consuming this media. We as a culture cannot and must not lose sight of the fact that killers are absolute fucking losers. Nothing is interesting about them. Not even the reason they committed that murder. Who cares about what drives a loser? Can you imagine having so little going for you that the only way you get people to pay attention to you is by committing murder? It's just losers. You may have noticed that I don't even mention her name and it's because I strongly feel that they deserve nothing. Not our attention, not to be known or to be recognized, nothing. By paying this much attention to them, we're dehumanizing every single person who spent the last minutes of their lives in agonizing pain, fear, confusion, and of course true crime can be done right, but everything that makes it ethically sound is also what makes it less entertaining. Here's an example. Meet Joel Sr. and Lisa Guy. Joel was a man who 
took great pride in everything he did. And Lisa, who entered the marriage without kids of her own, was dubbed the ultimate mother figure by her three stepdaughters. Lisa hadn't experienced biological motherhood yet, so they decided, let's have one more baby. And not long after that, Lisa gave birth to her first baby and Joel Sr.'s first son. They were killed by that son. After he killed them, he dismembered them, put them in containers with acid and planned on flushing the remains down the toilet. Autopsy reports show that his knife was sharp enough to execute dismemberments with precision, as the remains of Joel Sr. showed. Yet, when he dismembered Lisa, he pulled her head off her spine with force. Forensic psychologists explain it by saying that it was just a way for him to be as disrespectful as possible to the woman who gave birth to him. He placed her head in a crock pot, filled it with water, turned on the stove, and let it cook. And all of this happened because Joel Sr. and Lisa decided to cut off their son financially because they thought it was time for him to make his own way in the world. Now, what does knowing all of this do? Do you feel enriched? Enlightened? What exactly are we learning from this? No matter what we tell ourselves, true crime is not teaching us anything. And even if it did, what the fuck would be the lesson? Never love anyone? Never trust anyone? Never have one more baby? Never game online? Never go to concerts with friends? What is the lesson? I'm all for preserving these stories because they happened. They tell a story about humanity. I'm all for archiving these events and relaying them in non-sensationalized ways. But that's not what's happening with true crime. Just like the people before us who went to public executions, we are also entertained by murder. What true crime does is make us see killers as more human than the people who died by their hand. And the victims are reduced to a punchline in some kind of comedy true crime podcast, which in itself is just... <sighs> I wish I could name them all. I wish I could talk about everyone whose life was cut short by a loser. Because if anyone deserves attention, it's them. And that was my take on true crime. <laughs> it was a lot. I thought it was so difficult to talk about the few people that I mentioned already which I'm happy about because it means that I'm not desensitized. It really does something to me to talk about these people who died in the most horrific way. Also, am I the only one who shivers in absolute horror when I see news articles with the killer and the victim photoshopped side by side? It makes me want to die. It's just so insensitive. You know, I don't even want to have a picture of me and my ex photoshopped next to each other and we're alive please give both the victim and the killer a different part in the article instead of putting their pictures next together who who serves the internet wants to see their murdered loved one next to the picture of the murderer it's gross anyway 
Watch whatever the hell you want. Just be mindful of the media you consume is all I'm saying. And maybe check out crimesurvivors.org of als je Nederlands bent, stichtingslachtofferhulp.nl and read stories of consenting adults who were victims of a crime and survived. Which is technically also true crime, except Netflix is not exploiting it. So that's nice. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Polly, pretty Polly, come along with me. Before we get married, some pleasure to see. He led her over hills and valleys so deep, Polly mistrusted and she began to weep. She went a little further and what did she spy? A newly dug grave with a spade lying by. He stabbed her in the breast and her heart's blood did flow and into the grave, pretty Polly did go.